really need to tell better stories instead of complaining about it, right? What if we right. just start telling the stories and really flood the airwaves with something different? All right. Welcome back. It's episode 45 of the podcast, and I'm getting ready to go on my personal prayer retreat next week. I do this, uh, so this is probably going to post while I'm on my retreat. Um, I've been doing this, I don't know, I don't know if this is year four or five, whatever, but this year is the first year that my husband is going with me on the retreat. So I, I'm not really sure how this is going to work. I might need another retreat when I get back. He might go stir crazy while we're there because he, he tells everyone he's an introvert. But let me just tell you, my husband is an extrovert. He, he thinks he's an introvert, but he's not really. Um, so I don't know, maybe he, maybe he is the ambivert thing, but pretty sure that by day three, he's going to lose his mind. So I'm going to have to take him into town and we're going to have to find the local target and go to Starbucks and, uh, you know, talk to strangers, <laughs> maybe, maybe find, see if there's like, you know, like a pet store around there and we can, you know, hold the puppies or something. I don't know. We're going to have to find something for him to do probably about halfway through. Maybe I'll have to do an episode on how it all went when I get back. And I have a I have a guest scheduled to come on the podcast. So Dr. Ron Blake, he is the district superintendent for the Indianapolis district in the Church of the Nazarene. And he's going to be coming on the podcast in August. Uh, we're going to talk about setting goals and probably have him talk a little bit about how do you set goals in a season where you know, like we don't know what's going to happen next week. Anyway, Dr. Blake was my first, not my first pastor, but first pastor that I served under on staff. So I was on staff with him for six years as pastor of outreach and evangelism. Uh, and so he's going to come on the podcast. I know, I know some of you are like, what's with all of the men that I'm interviewing? It's okay. Men can be pastors too. Don't freak out. Anyway, it'll be a fun episode. It's always fun to talk to him. Uh, we'll laugh and talk about stupid stuff. And I'll I'll try to get him to talk about at least three or four Blakeisms. you know, like the, the things that he used to say to all of us when we were on staff. And I will link to his podcast. Uh, he's doing a podcast. Highly recommend it. There are 15-minute segments uh, on different leadership aspects. So, uh, matter of fact, I'll put it in, this, in these show notes as well. Go and check that out. They're nice and quick. Uh, I usually like download a whole bunch of them and then, you know, I can get through two or three of them in a, in a run. So today I want to talk about responding with grace to gender bias and gender discrimination. Back in January of 2020, seven, seven months ago now, uh, I had asked for people to send me topics, things they want me to address on the podcast that they would love to hear an episode about. And I got some great ones. Um, and I have, I have them all. I have an Evernote file. So I use Evernote to track some of my 
different different projects, but specifically the podcast. So I have them all in there. But but I, anyway, I recorded one or two, and then COVID hit, and they, none of them fit right. So that's why they're taking. That's why I haven't forgotten about you. This is why it's taken so long. I finally finally feel like we're in a place during COVID where we can start branching out and talking about some other things. So we want to talk about responding with grace to gender bias and gender discrimination. First of all, I just want to say, oh, yikes. Uh, I feel like I should not be the, like, I'm like not in the top five people who should be talking about this. But, you know, I've had some situations recently where uh, I've been speaking in front of a group and been challenged uh, on this topic specifically on gender bias and gender discrimination, like was asked a question that um, the person asking it, it was a microaggression. I don't think they didn't, they didn't realize it, that it was a microaggression, but all the women in the room realized it was a microaggression. Um, And so then afterwards, people responded, women responded saying, I mean, I wish I knew how to respond to those questions in that way. So first of all, let me start by saying uh, I'm getting better at it. (laughs) It's not always, um, it doesn't come easy for me. Obviously, the more time we spend with Christ, the easier it is to respond with grace. But I think there's also, you also have to work at it. Um, So I want to go walk through some, maybe some practical ways to increase your ability to respond tactfully uh, to people who've just flat out, sometimes it's just flat out discrimination. Uh, Sometimes it's bias. uh, And then sometimes it's like microaggressions. Um, They all kind of fall in, they're the same, but they all fall in different categories. Uh, So I think the first thing that was, that I need, that I did, and I think is important for if you want to really increase your your grace, your tenacity, your tact, right, is to begin recognizing your triggers. So there are certain things that are going to trigger you and other ones that won't. Okay, so let me use this example. Uh, I'm, I'm in a group where we interview people once a year and I'm the only, in our small group, I'm the only woman. And so someone always has to take notes when we interview people and I, I just automatically always take notes now sometimes, and sometimes the other two men will ask me, but like that doesn't bother me and probably because I'm an introvert, it gives me something to do and I'm listening while other people are talking. And so I'm thinking, uh, and so it just makes it easier for me to interview people. But I know that there are some people out there, some women out there where like, that's a major trigger for them that it feels like a microaggression. Like, don't just assume that because I'm the woman in the group, I'm the one who's going to take the notes. Like, I'm not the secretary. Just because I'm a woman doesn't make me automatically make me the secretary. So for some people, that's a trigger. Um, it's not a trigger for me. But I'm, I'm using that example. There's other ones. But I'm using that example because you need to know your triggers. We need to recognize what they are and, and then begin asking ourselves the question of, well, why is that a trigger? Why does that bother me so much? And begin looking for ways to prepare ahead of time to address it, right? So if you're going into a meeting 
and you're the only woman there, and there's a good chance they're going to ask you, what can you do ahead of time to prepare yourself for this trigger, right? Um, so, so whatever they are, just start taking note of your triggers. There are certain things that people will say to me, like it is immediately a trigger. Now I, I am at a place where I recognize it. And I, and so as soon as they say, uh, say something in a certain way, I automatically recognize this is, I, I know what this is. I know why this is a trigger for me. Uh, and so I can immediately take a breath and say, I've been here before. This is, it's okay. Because I know it's a trigger, because I understand where it's coming from, uh, I have been able to begin formulating a, a response to different, whether it's microaggression or flat-out discrimination. So that's the first thing I would say. Recognize your triggers, but also I think we need to recognize the that we can trigger others. Um, and, and this is kind of a newer concept for me that I'm coming to understand specifically these last few months. And of course, everybody is heightened right now. Some of us probably have PTSD. But I started realizing that there are things about people that, I mean, it has nothing to do with gender bias, but that they just trigger me because they remind me of somebody else or it reminds me of an experience that I had. Uh, and so I feel that coming. And so there's... Sometimes we have to recognize that what comes across as gender bias and what comes across as a microaggression can legitimately be that we, something about us, is triggering someone else. Um, and so just that framework has allowed me the ability to extend grace in this category to others a little bit easier so the next thing I would say is you need to acknowledge that microaggressions are legitimate. I think some of us, especially women, but men also, take a laissez-faire attitude towards microaggressions. Like, oh, it's not really that big of a deal. So let me give you an example. And I'm, I'm going to take this from the show of The Good Doctor. I don't know if you've seen The Good Doctor or not. But there's an episode where I don't watch it all the time. I just happen to... I've seen it enough that I know the characters, all right? And this particular episode really, it was easy to remember because uh, I could relate. So Claire is one of the doctors. She's a, obviously she's a woman. Uh, she's also a person of color. And I mean, she's having a hard time. And so there's been stuff going on in her personal life. Um, there's some conflict at work that's happening. Um, so there's a bunch of things happening around her. In the sur she's in surgery. If I remember correctly, I think she questions the lead doctor about something. And, and it was a legitimate, it was, a, it was one of these things where it was a legitimate question. She honestly had a, um, I'm, you know, I don't understand why you're doing this. Help me understand it. Seems like there's a better way, you know, and she's there to learn. Anyway, he makes a comment about what, did you get up on the wrong side of the bed or the wrong side of the month? That is a microaggression. It's inappropriate. You would never say that. He would never say that to one of the male residents, obviously. And so I think we need to recognize that there are legitimate microaggressions. There are things that are said to us that are not said to men that flat out inappropriate, especially if we call ourselves Christians. Um, if we are pastors, they, these are inappropriate things and we need to begin recognizing them. So 
first of all, I think as a woman, you just need to acknowledge that microaggressions are legitimate. Most of us, I don't think we have to stretch it very far. But I have heard women say, oh, you're just blowing it out of proportion. No, that was out of line. That was inappropriate. I'm on a, I'm on a committee for our region, the Olivet region. There's a, a female pastor that represents each district uh, on this region. And so we meet periodically and I don't have permission to share their stories. So I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to tell you that I've heard some just horrific stories of microaggressions, things that were completely inappropriate that no Christian should ever say to another brother or sister in Christ, let alone one pastor to another. And then I think what makes it even more infuriating is that other people hear it and they don't say anything. So not only are you not allowed to defend yourself, uh, the men around you don't even speak up and correct the person who's saying it. So I think we need to acknowledge that microaggressions are legitimate. You, you're not going to be able to convince everyone, but at least convince yourself that they are real because you need to start there. And we need to be careful that we don't use them ourselves. Because sometimes I, I hear women using microaggressions against other women. So just be careful about that. Sometimes it starts with us, those of us who are women. Um, we have to begin changing the way that we speak around other women and around men as well. Then the next thing, so these are kind of preparation things to responding to grace things you need to do behind the scenes because it's a lot easier if you do it behind the scenes before it happens um, rather than trying to do it in the middle of a of an encounter uh, and this is what I would say do the work we need to do the work beforehand and so here's four things when I want to talk about doing the work first of all answer this question why are you capable are you able to clearly identify your strengths as a person. Like, what are your strengths for what it is that God has called you to do? So whether you're a pastor, a Bible teacher, you lead a ministry in your local congregation, you lead a ministry or a nonprofit in your community, what are your strengths? You need to be able to identify why you are a capable human being. And write it down. So I want you to get yourself, if you don't have a journal, get a journal. Um, hey, maybe you keep a yearly planner. Write this. Usually there's a, at the beginning of every planner, there's goals and stuff like that. Make Set aside a page and bookmark it. Mark it with a paper clip or something like that. And write down your strengths. Why are you capable? What makes it so that you are able to do what you do? Right. And I want you to make them concrete. So write up. So first of all, answer this question. Why are you capable? Second of all, write them down. Third, make them concrete. So I don't want you to write down. I'm a nice person. I want you to write down that you are innovative and you are able to think outside the box and write down an example of a time that you were innovative and you thought outside the box. So they need to be concrete. I'm reading this book right now, and she's in this particular chapter, she was actually talking about microaggressions uh, and how 
men, so let's say you're, you're at a speaking engagement and a man gets up there and they'll list their degrees, places that they've worked, committees that they sit on, other kinds of accomplishments, you know, did, if they publish something, whatever. Women will get up and they'll talk about that they're a mom, that they're married. Um, I don't want to say fluff stuff because it's, you know, being a mom is a big deal and being a wife is a big deal. And But I want you to write down your accomplishments. Do you, do you have a degree? Have you published an article? Um, have you started any ministries? Uh, have you improved any ministries? Ways, have you mentored people? Like, write down the reasons that you're capable to do what you do. Because one of the things that really helps us to respond with grace is if we recognize our value, our contributions, our accomplishments. These aren't bad things. We are not arrogant or boastful or proud if we have a level of self-awareness of the things that we've accomplished, right? Here's one of the things that I've seen. Um, so let me give you an example. I, I see this a lot in social media. So if you look at somebody's profile. So if you go to the average pastor or, lead, or, or a, a male who has a leadership role and you look at their profile, the number one thing they're going to be what they've done, what they've accomplished. If you go to a woman's profile and you look at her description that she put it down of herself, she starts with, I'm, I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a daughter. And then like, almost like an afterthought, oh, here's the things that I've accomplished. So this doesn't help your confidence when, when people are discriminating against you based on your gender, right? Under Know what it is, have concrete, written down, identified abilities, strengths, accomplishments, so that when you're confronted with gender discrimination and gender bias, immediately there's something in the back of your mind that says, that recognizes they're wrong or they don't have all their facts or whatever, however you want to tell yourself. And then I want you to save all of the concrete affirmations you receive. Now, unfortunately, most people, especially leaders, are not very good with affirmations and compliments. So usually what you get, especially men giving affirmations and compliments to women, typically what this is what you get. You're doing a great job. Keep up the good work. You're a great leader. Now those are nice things for people to say, but they are not concrete. So here would be concrete. Someone said to me recently about a particular sermon. That was good research on that text. And I really liked how you tied in this other passage with that in order to support that text. Um, so like that's concrete. So just to say, hey, you're a good preacher, that is a nice compliment, but that's not concrete affirmation. So when somebody does take the time to give you a concrete affirmation or compliment, uh, write that down and save it somewhere. I have a file at home with emails, cards, um, texts. Anytime someone has affirmed my strengths, my call, my gifts, my accomplishments, anything, especially if it was concrete, 
you could identify it uh, as it's, it's not abstract, like, right? It's something you can measure. Uh, that's in my file so that I can go uh, to times when I'm discouraged and I can pull those out and I can say, hey, look at this right here. So, so you need, we need to do the work up front. Part of responding with grace intact is allowing God to increase our self-confidence. And unfortunately, what the church tries to do, which is also a microaggression, is tell women, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be self-confident. You should be confident in Christ. Well, you know what? We are confident in Christ. <laughs> we also need to be confident in ourselves and who Christ has made us to be. Uh, I don't, there's no shortage on most men uh, having self-confidence. So let me just tell you, in the church, they, they are quick and there's study after study, research after research, like legitimate sources out there that will tell you men mostly assume they're overqualified for something and most women assume they're underqualified. I want you to hear that. Even in the church, most men assume they are overqualified and they are more likely to take a risk and step out and say, hey, I'm capable of that. And like they overestimate their abilities, whereas women underestimate themselves and their abilities. In Christ, out of Christ, I don't care. Men overestimate and women underestimate. And so there's lots of research. You can go to uh, Lean In uh, and see that research. You can see the research, extensive research through Brene Brown's, uh, some of Brene Brown's work. Um, there's plenty, plenty, plenty out there uh, to affirm uh, what I just said. So you and I as women, for the women who are listening, we need to do the work. And now there might be some men who are listening to this who I'm like, you struggle with self-confidence as well. So, hey, do the work. Answer the question, why are you capable? Write it down. Make them concrete. And save the concrete affirmations you receive from others. Okay, so quick review. Recognize your triggers. Recognize that you unknowingly might trigger others. Acknowledge microaggressions as legitimate do the work. Uh, the next one would be consider the source. Uh, sometimes, right? Consider the person who is uh, discriminating. Consider the source. There are just some people who are never going to get it. There are some people, they just have hit their limit of spiritual maturity. I don't like to say never, right? James Bond, never say never. But there are just some people they're not going to get it and they're definitely not going to get it within the context of your conversation that you're going to have. And so you just have other battles that you need to fight. Now, sometimes there are, there are times, right? There are times, but, but I, I want to talk about this is consider the source. When we are confronted with gender bias and discrimination, the first thing, uh, well, first we need to breathe. And then second, we need to consider the source because it's a lot of times, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. 
and it's not worth your energy. You know it's not worth your energy. There are people I've had multiple conversations with, graceful, gracious conversations, and no matter what I say, no matter how many ways, how many accomplishments I have, they're never going to change their mind. They are proud and arrogant and prejudiced, bias against women. So at that point, you kind of just need to put them in the hands of the Lord uh, and say, dear God, please uh, have your way with them. So consider the source. Now, self-awareness, kind of, this is kind of doing the work, right? This is having some self-awareness. You know, you just about can't get through this world without experiencing some trauma, especially if you're female, you know, men as well, but especially if you're female and we have to work on some self-awareness. We have to recognize that there are traumas, old, old traumas that have shaped the way that we behave, the way that we respond, and we have to take responsibility for those. Like I recognize that early on in my childhood, I experienced gender discrimination. I'll, I'll just tell you, I experienced gender discrimination from my grandpa, right? Uh, boys were just flat out better than girls. They could do it better. They could do it faster. They were stronger. They were smarter. I mean, I'm sorry. It's just the way it was. I'm not being uh, facetious. I'm not being uh, a drama queen. I am being honest with you. Uh, and... So there are times when people will say things or do things that, man, I can just like, like I see my grandfather's face in them. So, and so that you have to have some self-awareness. And then I think we need to educate both ourselves and others. Being able to respond with grace to gender bias and gender and discrimination um, really starts by having conversations and establishing relationships. You're going to have to earn the right to speak into certain people's lives. Pray that other people have earned the right and that they will speak up. Uh, so if you're a man that's listening, uh, you have, you probably have some relationships where there's a good chance you need to start speaking up. There are people in your life who they're very much discriminate against women, whether it's microaggressions or straight up discrimination. And it might be time for you to speak speak into that relationship. It might be time for you to call out some other men on that discrimination and say, you know, that is not Christ-like. That does not reflect well on the gospel. That is not a kingdom attitude, right? Especially if you're a pastor and you see it in another pastor. Uh, you you kind of have a responsibility um, so you know, whatever, for like the three men who actually listen to this, uh, you've got a responsibility. You need to start praying. I'm just going to challenge you. You need to start praying about some conversations that need to be had with other ministers because of the relationships that you already have with them. One of the tricks that helps me to responding with grace, at least when I do it well, is to start by asking questions or actually start by listening. So let's reverse that. I was going to say ask questions and listen, but listen and then ask questions. So the first thing I would say is listen. Listen to exactly, listen to what it is that they're saying and how they're saying it. So a lot of times there's a question behind the question 
And by really listening to what they're saying, rather than just responding with an answer, it might be better to respond with a question. And of course, Jesus was really good at this. Asking and clarifying questions. Okay, what do you mean by this phrase or this word that you used? How do you see this at work? So, for example, when someone said to me, well, we're just not ready for a woman pastor. Well, what does it look like for, what would it look for, like for you personally and your church board to be ready? So graceful question, so graceful response to we're just not ready for a woman pastor might be, well, assuming you're the person being interviewed like I was, well, what would it look like? What would it look like if you were ready? What would it look like if the board was ready? How has that lived out in your life? What, what would have to happen in order for you to be ready? Because sometimes they don't even know what they're saying. That's a big cop out. We're just not ready. Okay, well, get ready. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what I want to say is, okay, get ready. What do you got to do? Put on galoshes? I don't, I don't understand. But we can ask. So we can ask questions. We can ask follow-up questions. One of the last keys is when you're actually in the situation and you're trying to respond and you're trying to be graceful and give people the benefit of the doubt, which is important, is to start by really listening to what they're saying um, and then asking questions, clarifying questions. And there's a good chance you're probably not going to change their mind. However, you might at least leave them with something to think about. And that's the turning point for the next conversation that they'll have um, about this topic or the next encounter they have where they're exhibiting signs of gender bias. I hope that some of these things help you. There, there are some good books out there. Lean In is a good one. Uh, um, Cheryl Sandberg. So I, I would read that. I think that's a good one. Presence by Amy Cuddy, C-U-D-D-Y. She also has a TED Talk, if you want to watch her TED Talk. Uh, Cheryl Sandberg also has a couple really good TED Talks. I think those would be good places for you to start if you want If you want to start there. There are things that we can tweak uh, as women, right? Like, I know we, we want men to just stop it, right? Just stop it. But there are things that we can do to give us an advantage. Uh, and so that's why I think the book Lean In and uh, Amy Cuddy's book Presence helps with that. Both of those are a big deal. And then some of these things that I kind of talked about behind the scenes um, work that we need to do. You know, in a perfect world, we wouldn't have to lead from the back seat, but we don't live in a perfect world. And we can learn to lead from the back seat. And maybe at the end of the day, that's really the more Christ-like way to lead. It's, is it frustrating? Yeah, it's frustrating. Sometimes we just like, do we have to have all this other junk? Can't we just, can I just do my job, right? I say that. Well, just let me do my job. Okay, just get out of the way. <laughs> Quit making my gender a big deal. Just let me do my job. Just let me follow my call without having to deal with all this other garbage on the side that's related to my gender. And I get that. And there's room to vent. Uh, trust me, I vent in my journals to God all the time. I think it's good to have 
every once in a while to get together with some other women pastors and vent about the garbage that we have to deal with. Um, I had somebody say, I had another woman say to me once, you know, don't, don't get, don't get wrapped up in all that. Don't be get, no, I don't think burying it. I don't think stuffing it is helpful either. Pretending it doesn't exist is not healthy. It's not mentally healthy. It's not emotionally healthy. It's definitely not healthy for the church. So don't, I don't want you to hear me saying that, oh, let's just, let's just pretend it doesn't exist. That is not what I'm saying. Cause man, I really wish we could just get on with it already. You know, there are men out there that just need to get over themselves, but there are also men who are your advocate, who are very much godly, Christ-like, and who are making an intentional effort to, if you listen to the previous episode, hold space for women. For those opportunities, we need to do the work. We need to do the work ahead of time. So that when men hold space for us and allow us to step in, we're ready. Like do the work ahead of time so that you're ready. And so these are some of the ways you can do the work. Highly recommend both those books. And hey, share this episode. Share this episode with a woman who could use some encouragement. All right, that's all I have for you. 